Cumberland Podcast. My name is Chris Fleming. I'm the Adult Ministries Coordinator for the Discipleship Ministry Team of the Ministry Council for the Cumberland Presbyterian Church. I haven't been able to do but this one podcast this week because I've been in Galveston, Texas, where I attended the Association of Presbyterian Christian Church Educators Conference. And I'm looking forward to share some of the stuff that I learned there because I think it was very valuable and can be used in our churches to strengthen the ministries that we provide. So this week I'm doing the lectionary starter for what will be February the 17th. Again, this week, some really good text. Before I get into that, I wanted to read you a quote that I found from John Hines. He says, Preaching is effective as long as the preacher expects something to happen, not because of the sermon, not even because of the preacher, but because of God. I think that's the the reason why we preach. We preach in the power of God, not in our own power, which is something that we will talk about this week. Uh, This week we have Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 5 through 10. We have Psalm Psalm chapter 1, the first psalm. We have 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 through 20. And we have Luke chapter 6, verses 17 through 26. So these are really great texts again, and they're timely ones in, in our culture. All of the texts present two ways of thinking and living, and this will set up for great preaching. I'm going to be preaching at the Hendersonville Cumberland Presbyterian Church on the 17th, so I look forward to being able to preach alongside of all of you servants this week. First, we'll look at the Old Testament text from Jeremiah chapter 17, verses uh, 5 through 10. Awesome passage. I'll just read it to you right quick. Thus says the Lord, Cursed are those who trust in mere mortals and make mere flesh their strength, whose hearts turn away from the Lord. They shall be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see when relief comes. They shall live in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed are those who trust in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. They shall be like a tree planted by the water, sending out its roots by the stream. It shall not fear when heat comes and its leaves shall stay green. In the year of the drought, it is not anxious, and it does not cease to bear fruit. So, obviously, right there you have a contrast between cursed is the person who trusts in mortals in verse 5, and then that's juxtaposed in verse 7, blessed is the person who trusts in God. In verse 5, cursed are those whose hearts turn away from the Lord. In verse 7, blessed are those who trust in the Lord. Verse 6 is like a shrub in the land, but verse 8 speaks like a tree planted by the water. Verse 6 speaks of being in a parched land, and then verse 8 is when it says planted by the water. Verse 6, that tree, that shrub won't even know when relief comes, but in verse 8, this tree will never cease to bear fruit. So what Jeremiah is doing is lifting up a state of being for people who trust in mortal flesh and those who trust in God. One is a state of cursed or wickedness, if you will, one is a state of blessedness. And keep in mind that Jeremiah is speaking on a couple different levels. On one level, he's prophesying to the government of Judah. Jeremiah and all the people of Judah remembered well the destruction of the kingdom of Israel. He was alive in that time. The kingdom of Israel put their hope in human power. And now Jeremiah is warning the government of Judah, don't be like them. Our power is in Jehovah, it's not in armies or the kings of earth. But on another level, Jeremiah is speaking uh, to the spiritual Judah, if you will. We as Christians and the individual Jews of Jeremiah's time also have to choose what way we're going to follow. Who will we follow? Is it the kings of earth? Is it going to be politicians, political programs? Is it going to be 
our best friends, maybe our parents to lift us up in times of, of strife and, and need. But we have to make the choice. We're living in a time when the church has sold itself to ideology and political movements. And I believe that one of the reasons why the American church is weak is because we're looking for earthly saviors and we're looking for ideologies and we're looking for programs to bring about salvation on this earth. People within the church spend entirely too much time supporting and defending politicians on both sides of the political aisle, as if any of these mortal people can bring about salvation or any of their ideas can bring about a utopia of some type. People devote themselves to political ideologies because they believe it can usher in a vision of salvation, but newsflash, it doesn't work, never has worked, never will work. It's the preaching of the gospel that has the power for the salvation of humankind. So if you really want the world to change, then be part of the preaching, teaching, and baptizing in the name of Jesus Christ. This and only that will remain the lasting chance for a person or society to experience salvation. Also, being cursed and blessed is not really just a one-time event, right? So no one action can be judged on a small sample size. So in verse 9 and 10, we read about how only God can judge one's mind and heart. But here and elsewhere in the Bible, we're told that we, we can judge fruit. Right, So when you live 10, 15 years and you're still the same person that you were that 10 years previous and your fruit hasn't borne or you haven't borne any fruit, you know that maybe you still have not had that conversion experience of your heart. But in 10 or 15 years, you've led a life in which people have been blessed, the church has been blessed, people have, have had an experience of Christ because of you. You're in a state of blessedness. And then we go on where in verse 9, 10, the heart is deceitful above all things. It is perverse. Who can understand it? That's when God says, I, the Lord, test the mind and search the heart to give to all according to their ways, according to the fruit of their doings. All right, so what I mean to say that if your life is characterized by heartache, pain, and frustration, there's a good chance that you're trusting more materialism and human power, including your own power, than you are in God. But if you're seeking God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, more than likely, you're living a life of blessedness, no matter what condition you currently find yourself in. I've often illustrated it this way. People think of material possessions as a symbol of blessedness in our culture. And truthfully, if you do right things, most of the time you have a little more than those who don't. But that's beside the point. I've worked with many people who have very little money, most of my ministry. But there's a qualitative difference between many people who don't have a lot of money. There are those people who are broke all the time, and it's because they're trying to live above their means, or they're just too lazy to get a job to work for what they want. They like to tell me how hard it is in life, and how they just can't seem to get ahead, and they're never content where they're at. But then I've worked with people who have almost no money, none extra anyway, but they give to the church, they cook for those who are sick, they work when they can, and so on. Those people are not rich, they have very little money, but they are blessed, and they're a blessing. Uh, when they visit people or when people visit them. You go and visit them and their grandkids are running around the house and they're content with everything that they have, even if it's not much. They are in a state of blessedness. And so ask yourself the question, what type of fruit is being born in your life? What type of fruit is being born in your church? God knows the motives of the heart and he judges the motives of the heart and he gives out blessings or cursings according to God's uh, knowledge of each person. Now, there's also that verse there that sets up a sermon for the doctrine of depravity, right? So don't forget that little golden nugget of doctrinal standards. It says, The heart is deceitful above all things 
and I'm often in awe of how people stick up for politicians, and I think to myself, self, these people think that this person has a heart of gold. Whatever happened to verses like Jeremiah 17.9? I'm not saying that you have to hate people, but be wary of people's intentions, any person's intentions, because the heart is deceitful above all things, and if we're working in our natural man, uh, we don't have everybody's benefit at heart. Chances are most people you meet are like every other human being, and deep down in their heart, they're awful, just like everyone else. Everybody needs Jesus. That brings us to the psalm uh, passage. Psalm 1 carries on a similar theme. It's almost verbatim. We read, Happy are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or take the path that sinners tread, or sit in the seat of scoffers. But their delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law they meditate day and night. They are like trees planted by streams of water, which yield their fruit in its season, and their leaves do not wither. In all they do they prosper. The wicked are not so. They are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Alright, so Psalm 1 carries on this image of the righteous and the wicked, illustrating them with the image of a tree that's constantly healthy to a tree that's unhealthy and whose leaves wither and are carried off by the wind like chaff. And I think it needs to be noted in this passage, uh, with and with all the texts this week, is that Every tree can bear fruit. It's not some uber tree that the psalmist is talking about that that yields fruit correctly every time, no matter what, and some second-class tree or shrub that is just inherently bad in itself. It's that one tree is nourished by the streams of water, and that same type of tree simply tries to live in its own strength and is trying to be nourished with bad soil. And so we humans have two choices, according to the psalm. We can care for ourselves by nourishing ourselves with the Word of God, or we can try to nourish ourselves with trusting in humans or with our own devices, but then we'll shrivel up. And these are the options that we have for living. It's not necessarily that one person is better than the other. It's just that one person is planted in the soil of the Word of God and the Spirit of God. So a verse that I try to get all people uh, to memorize is Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12. And that is, There is a way that seems right to a person but its end is the way of death. We can very easily get caught up with what we think is a good way to live. If you read Proverbs chapter 8, it's a fascinating chapter. And it's fascinating in this, is that it personifies wisdom and folly as beautiful women who stand at their house and they call out to those who are passing by. Both offer free food, but wisdom leads to life and folly leads to death. So they mimic one another. And the only way we can know the difference is if our minds and hearts are drenched with the words of God, the grace of God, and the Holy Spirit of God. Read that passage this week. It, it sets up these passages very well. Uh, wisdom and folly, both personified as beautiful women, both offering free, free bread and, and water. It's a very good passage. Uh, that comes to our 1 Corinthians passage then, chapter 15, verses 12 through 20. Now, this passage is important when it comes to how we think of the death and resurrection of Christ. You see, even at the earliest stages of the church, there were some in the church. uh, We talked last week about the creedal statement in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 through 7. Uh, They tried to make that non-valid. And by that, I mean some were saying that Jesus didn't rise bodily. It was more of a spiritual resurrection because they were leaning more toward Greek philosophy that was going on in their culture. And so Paul takes them on a tour of 
that kind of thinking and where it leads them. He says, if Christ wasn't raised, then you won't be either. And if Christ wasn't raised, then what is it that we're preaching? If Christ wasn't raised, our hope is in vain. So Paul addresses a situation that has found itself in the modern American church. If Christ is only our hope for this life, but not for the one to come, then we're to be pitied more than all people. We believed a lie. I like politicians who like to use Jesus when it helps with their earthly agenda. Philosophers, psychiatrists will oftentimes use the teachings of Christ to make us feel better in the present. But if Christ is not raised, what's the point? Because we're still in our sin. We're still in the same situation we were. And so there are two ways, there are the two ways in this passage as well. One way is that you can think of earthly wisdom, and, and the goal for the gospel is to, is to make us uh, socially right or to make us pursue justice for this life. All right, and the second way to understand the gospel is in the way that Paul preached it and the historical church has interpreted it, and it's a throwback to that last week's passage that Christ lived, Christ died, Christ rose, and then it has both an effect in this life but also the effect in the, in the next life, that there is a kingdom of God that needs to be established, and it's established by the power of the resurrection of Christ. But there's also the realization of, of justification and salvation in the risen Christ, both spiritual and bodily. And so there's two ways to think about things. Think about hope. If the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ is simply that it gives us hope in this life, it gives us hope to make the world better, now, if that's all, then good. But we live in the already but not yet, the desire to be in heaven, but also the works of today, right? So our hope isn't in message that we can all get better today, but it's that we can extend the borders of the kingdom today, but also we serve a risen Christ in whom we hope that this life isn't all there is. And then there's also two ways to think about truth. Either Christ rose bodily, Christ rose, or he didn't. And then the third way, which I think has probably been established by C.S. Lewis, is that Jesus is either a teacher whose goal is to make this life better for as many people as possible, or he's the Lord of all. And he's not only come to establish justice in this world, but also to recreate the world to where sin no longer has reign, both in our creation or also in our own personhood, our own life spiritually as well. He either came to create a movement of earth, or he came to recreate heaven and earth and to give us salvation. So there's two ways to look at that. And that leads us to our Luke passage then, verse chapter 6, verses 17 through 26. And again, we have two ways of understanding life. But Christ throws a little curveball in that he reverses completely our earthly understanding of blessing and woes. A phrase that is often used in homiletical circles is the upside-down values of the kingdom of God and how they're expressed in the gospel. We see it in the Beatitudes a lot. Uh, this is the blessing and woes, but they echo the Beatitudes uh, quite well. Now, you might remember a man by the name of Joshua Harris. He wrote a book that my generation of Christians are, is pretty familiar with. It's called I Kissed Dating Goodbye. Right? I never read the book because I wasn't a Christian at the time. Uh, and and really, I didn't have to worry about many girls liking me enough to date me, so didn't have to read the book. Uh, but as he grew up, he became a preacher, and he posted an interpretation of what he calls worldly beatitudes, and I think they're pretty good, so I want to share them with you. 
He said, blessed are the self-confident because they rule the world. Blessed are the positive thinkers because they don't need God's comfort. Blessed are the cocky and the assertive because they always get what they want. Blessed are those who hunger for fame because they get audiences on reality TV shows. Blessed are the vengeful for they get respect. Blessed are the impure pleasure seekers because they can always have a good time. Blessed are those who beat their opponents because the victors get to write the history books. And finally, blessed are the popular because everybody loves them. And if you think about it, I would say that's a pretty accurate interpretation of our culture today. And the question then is, is it right? See, I've noticed that it isn't so much that people of our time and culture don't really, it's not that they don't want a relationship with God. It's not that they don't necessarily want to be holy. I truly believe that we as a church haven't offered an alternative vision of what it means to have a relationship with God or what it means to be holy. We've imitated the world in our worship and our lifestyles to the extent that it's more of a preference than a judgment of value to live a life of faith or to be secular in our understanding. I've often said that, unfortunately, my Master's of Business degrees taught me much more about the administration and organization of the church than my Master's of Divinity ever did. And I think it's because the church is concerned about the values of the world rather than the kingdom of God. So as I'm preaching along with you this week, I'm going to expound on all these texts. And I'm going to use the gospel text to tie it up with the words of Christ and the blessing and the woes. The proclamation this week is really what vision of life are you going to choose to live? You know vision is deeply important because it's vision that gives you the information you need to make the deepest choices of your life. Will you live to be materially rich? Or will you live to be poor in spirit so that God will give you the kingdom? Will you live to put food on the table? Or will you live a life of faith that God will provide your needs as you hunger for a deeper relationship with God? Will you live for the good times and the constant highs, stay shallow in your relationship and faith? Or will you open yourself up in vulnerability, which oftentimes leads to pain when you seek a deep relationship with your neighbor and to God? But that may end in pain sometimes, but it's also a deeper and more meaningful life. So a quick recap then of what I can see that you could preach on this week is holiness and wickedness. There's two ways to live, righteousness or unrighteousness, holiness, wicked, however you would want to uh, preach those things. And if you want to get all theological on your congregation, which every once in a while you should do, uh, go with the sermon on the depravity of humans, right? And why it's been a staple doctrine within the Protestant tradition for as long as we've been around, right? as opposed to man's being essentially good and just needs some help morally, right? So the doctrine of total depravity or the depravity of humankind is, has been a staple doctrine uh, in our churches, and for good reason. Another thing you could say is, what does it mean to live by faith in your own strength or in the power of human systems or other human beings as opposed to living by faith in the promises of God? And then there may be, I don't know, it might be somewhat moralistic, I'm not sure, but it seems to be a theme throughout the wisdom books. You could preach from the Psalms the importance of the crowd you run with and the activities that you give yourself over to. Right? So Psalm 1 is very explicit that ruin comes to those who run with the wicked and blessedness comes to those who are in the congregation of the righteous. In my pastoral observation, when people say that they're atheists or they don't believe in organized religion, very rarely does it have anything to do with their intellectual knowledge of faith or theology or even their experience at church. 
oftentimes people run away from the church and and become quote-unquote atheists because there's a claim that there's a right way to live and there's a wrong way to live and many times they don't simply want to submit to what is right and so you might want to preach on that and then you could also simply preach about what exactly was accomplished in the death of Christ right you could imagine your church as the Corinthians because many of them are there there was something that happened in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that you as a pastor have been called to uh, explore and explain to your congregation what difference does it make on how someone views the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then also, who is Jesus? Is he a teacher? Is he a murdered, risen Savior? Is he a gift from God? Uh, is he a moral agent? What is he? Uh, you can preach on that this week. For me, I think I'm going to use this Sunday to lay out a distinct alternative vision of the Christian life. I'm going to be clear that the implication of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ leads us to a new set of values that are not found in any other religious system. It's not found in the values of our culture today. It's not found in any human being. And I'm going to try my best to paint a vision of the Christian life as a far greater experience, far deeper experience, than a life that's simply lived by going with the flow. That's my goal. So blessings on you this week, preachers and Christian educators, as you prepare. And I pray that God richly blesses you because of your efforts. So let me pray for you. Uh, Holy God, help us to be your servants, tools in your hand, moldable clay. Give us hearts of flesh, not of stone. Give us a receptive mind that we might hear your words to us this week so that when we go and preach and teach, uh, we're not preaching in our strength. We're not preaching in our wisdom, but we've We've heard from you. We've experienced from you. Fill our cup so that it overflows to other people. So bless each who reaches out this week in in your name. We do pray these things.